Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I'm looking at Aaron and I'm thinking, this is the gold calf guy, right? Is this the same guy? Is Aaron the gold calf guy? Is this the same fella that did that? I just hope this encourage somebody tonight, right? He's messed up. He's not been flawless. And I just want you to see that God is still working with him. God is still saying, but this is the person. My hand is upon him and I want to use him. And sometimes people think that the God of the Old Testament was not gracious. Do you ever feel like God can't use you anymore? Like you've screwed up too much, too many times. You don't have to look far in scripture to realize that it's never too late to be used by God. Pastor Bill points us to Aaron today. This is the guy that caused the whole nation of Israel to worship something that was not God. Have you ever done that? Led a whole nation astray? Aaron is still the one God had chosen to lead. God continued to work through Aaron, and he can still work through you today. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 17, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. He humbled himself and ministered to people that he was disrespected by people that he created, you know. Um, and so he's our example, right? We don't want to be in charge or over or bossing people. We want to learn that heart, that spirit of just God help me to be submissive where I need to be submissive. And I, as I went through this, I'm like, God, where where do I need to submit? There are areas. One of them, the laws. I'd be breaking laws. And in my mind, because I used to break big laws, when I break little laws, it, it seems little. And as I was just going over this, and I'm like, all right, you know, I, I'm convicted about it. I, I break laws. I break traffic laws, littering laws. And again, when I compare me today with the old me, it's like, wow, I'm not, it seems like less. It doesn't seem like it's that bad. But when I stop and look at it, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not submitting. I'm not submitting. It's, it's me saying, well, I just, I, I just don't think. That's not submitting. Right. God didn't ask me what I just don't think I'm not submitting. That's an area for me where I got to work on that. I need to submit to that. God has ordained those things. And it would be a shame if I were to be brought into account for breaking a law like that. It would be shameful. It would be embarrassing. So where do you struggle? Right. You don't have to raise your hand. And tell me. But where do you struggle to submit? And this is the goal of submission. Right. When I submit to God's ordinances, who am I really submitting to? God. When I rebel against them, who am I rebelling against? God. So when I rebel against the laws of the land that God established, God set that up, I'm, I'm rebelling against God. If you rebel against God's leadership in your home, then you're rebelling against God. When a kid rebels against their parents, they're rebelling against God. When a wife won't submit to her husband, she's not submitting to God. When a husband won't submit to Christ so, and lead his home in the way God, he's not submitting to God. The submission always ends, it always begins and ends with the one that gave the command. And so a failure to submit is a failure to submit to God. I'm not letting him be Lord. And so that's for all of us, right? If Jesus is Lord, then God submit. I submit to your people. I submit to your ordinances, the, those that you put in charge, submit to all of that. And in my life, there have been times where, you know, I've been called to submit to leaders and different things like that, that I didn't agree. And, and I guess submission only counts when you don't agree, right? If somebody over you tells you to do something you want to do, you don't have to submit. You're like, all right, I'll do that. That sounds good to me. 
You know, your parent tells you to go do something you desire. It's like, that sounds good. It's when they tell you to do something that you don't want to do. It's like, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't agree. And what people do, like what they do, what they did here, I don't agree with what you're telling me to do. I don't want to do it. So I'm going to start picking you apart so that I don't have to do what you said. That's what they start doing. I don't know how come they get to be the people. And we'll start picking apart the individuals and the people. And I've been guilty of this as well. You know, as I look back over my life at different eras and different times. And I can also look at the times where I didn't want to submit to something, but I did. And the outcome was was good. And I look back and I think, wow, I could have messed that up because I know I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to submit to it, but it was necessary. One case, when I was over high school ministry, I always would select my own assistant. So I had a guy that was assisting me that I really liked. It was going great. And I felt like we were just a great team and it was going really good. And I got called into the office one day and told that, hey, why don't you you know, encourage him to step aside and go ahead and spend some time raising up somebody else. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I like him. I raised him up. That's his, I don't, so I don't want to. But they, and then my pastor said, well, that, that's, I want you to do that. And I submit. I was like, I walked out like, all right, okay. But I mean, I, I went to my office. I sat there and I was like, well, I, you know, I, it didn't make sense. I didn't understand it. It was all the, I had a million reasons why I didn't like this idea. And I went ahead and did it, and I had to do it with the right heart, and it broke his heart, and he was all crushed, and I felt bad. And But the individual I had to step down, he had a trip planned to go out of the country with family. He went on that trip, and while he was on that trip, he fell into sin. And had he still been in the position he was in, it would have been really ugly for the youth because we would have had to deal with church discipline in a public way. And it would have been really ugly. But since he had been stepped down and he was no longer serving, it was like, well, now we still can minister to him and, and what went on in his life. But it didn't affect the kids. And as I, when that thing happened, I looked back and I thought, was that God's wisdom to say? Because it wasn't really any good reason that we did it. I never got a reason. I just got told, I just want you to do it. And it was nothing in his life that's forecasted. There was nothing about him that said he's going to make that mistake, you know, a month or two down the line. But as it happened, I looked back and I thought, wow, Lord, I need to be better about submitting next time. Because I did it, but I did it really begrudgingly. I did it really like, mm, I, you know, I really felt like he had messed up making that call. Like, why is he messing, meddling over here? But after all that happened, I was like, wow, what wisdom, what great wisdom from above. You know, it just, it felt different. So again, as God will many times call us to be in positions to submit Submitting is only submitting when we don't agree, when we don't want to do it. That's when it's submitting. So if you're, I do whatever people, I, I submit really good. It, it, you need to taste that when you get told to do something that you don't like. That's when it's like, all right, now I'm submitting. And so they had a hard time with this. Their lack of submission to God's leaders, again, like I said, was really a lack of submission to the Lord. And it hurt their relationship with God. And it hurt them in terms of becoming all and receiving all that God wanted to give them. They missed out quite a bit because they wouldn't submit to the Lord. They wouldn't submit to the people he raised up. So, so again, Aaron's rod budded, verse 9. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to the children of Israel. And they looked. And each man took his rod. I want you to note that they were looking. Every It says they looked. I believe that each guy was hoping somewhere deep down that, oh, oh, I wonder if my rod was a rod. Oh, and it's nothing. 
They looked. That was an intent look. They were looking and nothing to see. Here go your little empty rod with your name on it. Um, they got their rods back. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Now God says, bring me Aaron's rod, the one that budded and has got the three stages of almonds, got the blossoms, the buds and the ripe almonds. Bring that thing and bring it into the tabernacle. And he said, I wanted to be kept here as a sign against the rebels. Again, I want you to notice God's speech. We're learning about God. How does God feel about this group of people that won't submit to rebels? Put that thing here as an example for all time. When they come through here, I want them to see that rod, that blossom, that they wouldn't forget who I chose, that this is the person that I picked, that I chose, and I want the rod to be kept there. And again, God calls them rebels. And then he says something that's kind of a threat. He says that you would put away the complaints from me, and he says what? At least they die. That they could ultimately die. Now, many have already died, and we'll talk about that at the very end. Many of them have already died for going against the Lord. Guys, bring that thing in here and put it up here. I hope it reminds them not to do this again. At least they die. And it's almost as though God is saying, this is the last, this is the last gracious step I'm going to give these guys. I let the rod blossom. That's the sign of who I raised up. Complain again. And there are going to be people dying. People have been dying already. Look at the rest of verse. Let's look at verse 11 now. Verse, it says, thus did Moses just as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. And I would just note there with Moses that his obedience was complete and immediate. It says, so he did. As soon as God told him what to do, he did it. In contrast to them that are rebelling and being disobedient, I also thought of something else, right? I'm looking at Aaron and I'm thinking, this is the gold calf guy, right? Is this the same guy? Is Aaron the gold calf guy? Is this the same fella that did that? I just hope this encouraged somebody tonight, right? He's messed up. He's not been flawless. And I just want you to see that God is still working with him. God is still saying, but this is the person. My hand is upon him and I want to use him. And sometimes people think that the God of the Old Testament was not gracious, not merciful. That he was just thunderous and murderous and violent and all these different things. But I just want you to see that I'm looking, I've seen Aaron made some pretty mega blunders. It was Aaron and Miriam came together against Moses. They came against Moses and had to get checked. And in another time, Aaron was complaining too and got checked. And then the golden calf incident was a mistake. But I just want you to see here, God is still working with them. And some of you, maybe, maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've not been the man or woman that God wants you to be. I hope this gives you hope that you can repent and you can turn back and that God is merciful. God did have things he wanted to do through Aaron and God's, God's still saying, this, is, this guy is set apart by me and for me. With all his baggage, he's set apart by me and for me. And so I know that sometimes people in their mistakes and error, they get beat down and they feel like, man, maybe I can't now. Maybe I just have messed up too much. And I just love that we have a God that's, he's merciful, he's gracious. And he does give new life and new opportunity. So that was still his guy. Verse 11 Moses was obedient. God told him what to do. And that's the example for you and me. God said, Moses, do this. And it says right away, thus did Moses. Everything God said, do. He did it. Verse 12. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, surely we die. We perish. We all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. 
shall we all utterly die. Now, last part of the chapter, they're, I think, understandably afraid, right? But do you, I mean, I'm listening to this. I don't hear brokenness. I don't hear sorrow over sin. I hear concern for self. And there's a difference. There can be people that mess up sin against God in some way. And what conviction of the Holy Spirit will cause you to sorrow over your behavior, your sin, that you did that to the Lord. And that's where we can begin to repent. When I'm sorry for my sin, when I'm realizing that, man, God, I I hate what I did. I hate that I did that, Lord. That's what conviction, conviction will make me feel about my sin the way God feels. You'll hate it. You'll despise it. You'll want to get away from it. You'll want to grow out of it. You'll want to, you want to get far away from it. That's what conviction will do. This is different here. You know, this is fear. They're saying, we're going to die now. Oh, we're going to die because every, the last two chapters, there have been death galore. People have been dying left and right for coming against God. They're not saying sorry. They're not saying, you know, Lord, you know, we, we understand. Now we recognize that this is the guy and we should have never said nothing in the first place. What they're saying right now is, are we going to die now? Are we, are we, now we're going to get it? Is, is, is something bad going to happen to me now? And they're still just concerned about themselves, which is why they got in the problem in the first place. They wanted something for themselves. So I just want to give the distinction between sorrow over consequence and sorrow over sin. Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, the Bible says, leads to repentance. But there is a sorrow that just I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry about the the ramifications for what I did. I'm sorry that that's going to happen to me for what I did. Not really sorry about what I did. They're crying out. But I think they're just sorry. And I, I just want to rehearse what they've seen before. The rebellion in Korah, God destroyed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. He also destroyed the 250 followers from among the, the leader, the, the people that were leading. Remember, those three guys came with 250 leaders of Israel to come against Moses and Aaron. Then after they died, remember, they all he told them, go get your incense burners or the things they carried the incense in. And once they were done, he said, now take all their lanterns and hammer them out. And I want you to put them as a cover over the tabernacle. So another example, another memorial, right? How come God keeps giving these memorials? How come God says, put that rod there so you don't forget? And after the 250 died, to take their incense lanterns and, and hammer them out and put that over the, the, their incense censers and hammer them out and put them on the top so that when you see it, you'll remember because God knows we forget. God knows that, I mean, he, God can do something so amazing, so powerful, and we just forget what happened. And so guys, I just put memorials. I want you to remember what I did. That's how come God tells us to do communion. I want you to remember what I did for you because he knows we'll forget. He knows we'll get busy and just start doing church and we'll forget why we're doing what we're doing. We'll forget who we're worshiping. We'll forget who we're studying. Why are we here? Why, why are we reading this book? Why are we singing these songs? Why, why we'll forget all of that. God said, I want you to do this on a regular basis. Take communion. I want you to come to the table. I want you to remember the broken body and the shed blood. Remember what it's all about. Everything born out of that. Everything is because of that, because of what I did for you. May I be the centerpiece. May I be the big deal of every gathering. And you'll forget. So I want, I'm giving you a way to remember. And that's why he gave us something very simple. Bread and wine or juice will we use. Broken body, shed blood. I want you to remember that when you guys come together because you'll forget. And the same is true here. God said, you guys will forget what I did. So he's giving them these memorials. So the 250 died. You know, they were swallowed up. The ground, remember, the ground opened up and they were swallowed up. Then it says there was 14,700 
who died in the plague. Remember the plague began and Aaron ran out and got in between them. And it wasn't until he got there to intercede that the death stopped. And it says that he was between the dead and those that were still living. And when they counted up the dead, it was 14,700 people had died in that plague. And so imagine if I guess if I were part of this rebellion, this group, and I'm like, wait, that 250 people came down, they dead. Abiram, Korah, and Datham, they're dead. And 14,007, I bet you know some names. That's a, I mean, that's a lot of folks. Everybody, that many people from the community die. Somebody you know is dead. And so they're saying, man, we're, we're afraid now, right? And this is what I would point out. Disobedience to the Lord will cause us to be afraid of and retreat from the God who loves us and desires to bless us, right? They're afraid of and wanting to get away. They don't want to go. They're like, anybody go to the tabernacle, you're going to die. They don't want to go near God. They don't want to go near those things. They're afraid. Why? Their disobedience has brought them into a place where they're afraid of and just going away from the God who, as you read this, read it from the beginning, who loved them, who chose them, who intended to bless them and bring them into a land of promise and to do great things on their behalf. And they're missing out on him. And now they're, they're all afraid as they look at it. And I believe the same will happen today. There'll be people that talk about the return of God. The Lord's coming back. And for some of us, that's exciting. Like, man, I wish he'd come back now. You know, just end all my trouble to be over. I'd go be with the Lord. But for some people, that's a scary proposition. Now, not tonight, Lord. Can you, you wait a week. Let me get myself together. You know, for some people, the idea that he would come back or that you would meet him now is a comforting thought. And for others, it's a fearful thought. And it has everything to do with where we stand before him. Same with them. You know, for Moses, when the Lord would show up and speak and or invite him to the tabernacle, Moses come go over, meet me at the thing, meet me, meet, you guys meet me in front of the tabernacle. It wasn't a scary thing, I don't believe, for Moses. He was going to go meet with his Lord. But for these guys, they're like, no, we don't want to go anymore. We're afraid. We've just seen all these people die. And so at the end of it, it's fear, it's hysterical, they're complaining, they're murmuring. We're going to see that it, they'd still do it later on in the future. They don't stop complaining. But right here, their concern is, again, for themselves. We're going to die. Surely we die. We perish. We all perish. Whoever comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? And it's not exactly a complaint, but it doesn't look like they learned yet either. I would have just fell on my face and said, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. Have mercy. I won't do it again. I just own up. But they're saying, as I read this here, they're saying, God's going to kill everybody that goes to your tap. It's almost telling people don't go. This is what's going to happen if we go. Look at everybody's died. They're afraid right now that they're going to suffer this fate. So here's a lesson for you and I in all of this. One, I believe that just like back then, there are people that God has established as these are people I'm called to lead. Now, for us, we don't have priests. Jesus is our high priest. That's who we look to. We don't look to a man in the same way that, that we would be looking to these guys. Jesus is our high priest. But God has given us scenarios where we're to be submissive, where we're to recognize his authority in the earth realm, children to parents, wives to husbands, husbands to the Lord, us to the government, us to the authorities. You know, God has set all these different relations up where God said, I want you to be submissive to those things, part of my plan for the earth, for how things are to run. And I would just challenge you, as I've been challenged myself, that in any area where you find I'm not submitting here, 
that you will repent of that, that you realize that, wow, this, this does not please God. And it could be, could be getting in the way of God doing all the things he desires to do with your life. It got in the way for them. And so whatever areas you recognize that God has called you to submit that are a challenge for you, that you would bring that up to the Lord, that you repent of it, you confess it, acknowledge it. Even if you need to go to the people and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I've resisted you. I fought you on this thing that I didn't give way. I didn't heed. I didn't yield. I didn't submit. I, I, I went in my own way. Ask for forgiveness and move forward. That would glorify God. It would be a great step forward, you know. So one lesson. Um, second thing is, as they complained against the Lord, and we talked about it, the complaining against the leaders, the complaining against what God has set up was all complaining against God. And so everybody here, if you have things that are, we all have challenges. It's what we do with our challenges. Some people complain about their challenges. Some people pray about their challenges. I'm encouraging you to be more active in praying about your challenges. And be mindful if you find that, God, I'm a complainer. I notice that in my mind, I complain. I complain about this. I complain about that. I, I complain about scenarios. I complain about people. I complain about the things that aren't right. If you find that that's your makeup, you want to become aware of that, that God doesn't like it. He hears it. It doesn't please him. makes him angry. And eventually, he'll step out and deal with it. So if you find that, man, I'm a complainer, you know, and again, because we're dealing with God and all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's not even just verbal complaining. It's just complaining that happens in our heart. Everybody here knows what I'm saying. There are complaints that we just have right down here. Some of you kids, there's some things you would never open your mouth and say to your parents, but you say them in here. As I grew up, I did a lot of that. I would humor myself with the stuff I would say in here, but I would never say it out loud because I'd be losing some teeth, you know, but it would be complaints, internal complaints. God sees our internal complaints. He sees the things that we're thinking and saying. So we want to check that. God, help me not to help me not to complain. Help me to see it the way you see it. The complaint was, again, it wasn't against the leaders per se. It was against the Lord. Next, as the Lord identified those that he called to leave there with supernatural fruit, the rod budding with buds and blossoms and, and ripe, you know, the ripe almond. As he identified them through supernatural fruit, we want our leadership, spiritual leadership, to be able to be identified through supernatural fruit. And so I believe for the, for the New Testament saint, it's the fruit of the spirit that we want to look for. Just like these guys couldn't fake a rod budding. You couldn't fabricate that. That had to be something God did. I guarantee you nobody here can fake for any length of time a walk in the spirit. You can't fake the fruit of the spirit. Not for long. But it's something if you walk in it, it'll characterize you. You'll become characterized as someone that walks in love. Someone that walks in gentleness. You know, you show patience. All the different fruits that it'll characterize your life. And we want that. That pleases God. It's what he wants. And it's, it's an evidence to us and those that are looking to you for an example that God's hand is upon your life. If you look backwards in that list and see that all the outworkings of the flesh is what you see you want to repent you know you want to repent and turn that would be more evident that the people that you're leading would see God's spirit that it would be he'd be leading through you and that his fruit would be apparent in your life and I told you we talked about this the fruit is not like the gifts we don't have all the gifts we all have a gift or two or more but we don't have them all the fruits we're looking to have all the fruits amen I'm looking to have all those things. I, I can't look at this like, hey, I like all them things. I don't necessarily need more love, you know. Somebody else will take the love. I, God's like, I'm looking for all the fruits to pour out of your life. And so if you find that, you know, in some areas you're good and 
You see some areas that are lacking. You want to you want to pray about that. Actually, God, I, I want I want all these things. I, I want this to characterize my life because it would please Jesus. It would glorify Him. You've been listening to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that He taught them are the same ones He teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for Him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what He's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that He was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.